invite you right now just to search our hearts and point out anything that's not quite right, Lord, and help us lay those things down before you now. Because we want to behold you in all your splendor and appreciate you for who you are. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I'm Eric. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the chapel. So whether you're online with us or here today, a special welcome to you. Our mission at the chapel is to help people move one step closer to God and each other. And that happens through relationship with Jesus. And so we want to just help people take their next steps in Jesus this morning. And so what we're going to do is just look at a few upcoming uh, events and announcements at the chapel. There is something I promise for everyone uh, here at the chapel. And if you miss what I'm going to say, because I'm going to go through them quickly, uh, you can go to our website or you can look. Everything is in here in the welcome program. Let me tell you an event that's coming up on February 4th, Friday the 4th. It's an incredible event. It's called Alive, the Drew Robinson story. Drew Robinson was a Major League Baseball player. And in 2020, uh, he wrestled with taking his own life for 20 hours. And in that wrestling, he finally came out of it. And since then, he's working with a mental health, he's a mental health expert and help for the San Francisco Giants. And he is going around telling his story, bringing awareness of the need to really focus on mental health. So he and Ryan Rua, who is up uh, in the Amherst area, are going to be here Friday, February 4th, 6 to 7 p.m. at the Sandusky campus. And so space is limited, so if you want to sign up, just text the word baseball to the phone number on the screen. Again, it's all in your welcome program right in here. Uh, and you can even uh, give this to somebody that may want to come as well. But space is limited, so make sure to sign up. It's going to be an incredible, incredible event. Also, if you are 60 plus, that means you're not old. That means you're mature and wise. And we want to honor you. We have a luncheon coming up in Norwalk, not Sandusky, Norwalk, the 21st from 11 to 1. We're going to feature our Norwalk staff. And it's just going to be a great time to eat together and just get to know each other. So if you want to sign up for that, again, text the word luncheon to that number on the screen. And it will be an incredible time together. If you are on the other side of the age spectrum and you're a young adult, so glad that you're coming to the chapel. I got to meet with two young adults the other day in my office from Norwalk, and we just talked about Jesus and the Bible and everything for two hours. It was incredible. I just love seeing what God's doing in the next generation, and part of their hunger for God is their small group. And so if you're not connected and you're a young adult, there are four or five different groups going on at all of our campuses. So all you have to do is text the word YA, which is young adult, and then whatever campus you want, together to that number on the screen, and let's get you connected in a group, all right? Finally, we have a class for parenting, Parenting 101. We're calling it Give Them Grace. Pastor Todd and Lisa are teaching this class with other people who are trying to raise their kids right. I think all of us are trying to do that. But if you need some help, like I do, there is a class specifically for you. So you can text the word parenting to that number on the screen. There's an option for childcare. We're going to have food. Uh, and so whatever we can do to help you take your next steps as a parent, we want to do that. All right? So that's everything. Everything's in your welcome program, so check it out. I want to start today by asking a question that I want you to think about this morning. And then I'm going to follow it up with another question. Uh, the first question is this. Who do you want to be like? Who is somebody that comes to mind that you're like, you know what? Based upon who they are and how they live their lives, I want to be like that person. Who is 
she or who is he to you? Immediately, when I'm thinking of the person, I think of my mentor, Jim Samra. Jim and I got to teach together this past summer at a family camp, which is why I'm holding a balloon sword in my hand. We were at a carnival that night, and before we said goodbye, uh, my wife took a picture of us. Jim is not only my mentor for the past 10 years, but he is the lead pastor at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids. Jim is one of the smartest people that I know. He has a doctorate. He's written numerous books. He is probably the best communicator of God's word I've ever heard in my life. I look up to him so much. But all of those things I told you is not the reason why I want to be like him. The reason I want to be like Jim is because of his character. Because of who he is. Jim is one of those guys who he will be there for you when you need him the most. I remember one time on a Friday night, I was having a really rough time a couple years ago. I found myself at just the shoreline at about midnight and just really down and doubting and hurting. And I texted Jim, hey, pray for me, thinking he'd be asleep, and he called me. That's pretty awesome. I want to be there for people like that. I want to be like Jim. Jim, he wakes up every single morning at 6 a.m., without fail, to spend time with God and his word and prayer. And no, it's not because he's a legalist or he has to. It's because he desires to. And you see that in his life. Jim is authentic and transparent. When I talk to him on the phone about every other month right now, I'll ask him a question about ministry or about parenting or about being a husband, and he will tell me all the details that he did so I don't have to repeat those things. And most importantly, he's an incredible dad and husband. So if I'm thinking of somebody that I want to be like, sure, Jim, he's successful and he's at the top of his game. But the real reason I want to be like Jim is because of who he is and how he lives his life. And I imagine when you're thinking about the women and men in your life you want to be with, they may be successful, they may be at the top of their game, but it's probably because of who they are and how they live their lives. Let me ask a different question, a little bit harder this time and a little bit more personal. Do people want to be like you? If they were asked, the people in your life, I'm talking about your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, your best friend, the people that know you, not the people that you can fake out. We can all fake people out. The people that really know you. If they were asked the question, who do you want to be like, would you be the person that popped in their mind? Based upon who you are and how you live your life, Is your life worth being replicated? Do people want to be like you? We're in the middle of this message series called Exhausted. And if I were to ask you why you're exhausted, many times we say, well, it's because I'm not sleeping enough or I'm not following a good diet or whatever that is. And that's probably true. Last week we looked at how busy we are and how we can't say no. And that's a part of exhaustion. But a lot of times we're exhausted, not just because the physical, but because of the spiritual, the emotional, the relational, the things going on inside of us that lead to us being exhausted. And I am convinced that one of the reasons we are exhausted and tired is because of the gap. The gap between who I am and who I want to be. Think of who you are right now. And then think of the version of yourself you know you can become. The very best version of yourself. Of course, that should be Jesus. 
Think of who we are now and how we get to be more like Jesus. Think about the gap that's there. Many of us, we have a gap. Why? Because of the choices we make or the decisions we make about how we hurt other people in the process or how we do things that go against our faith in Jesus. We continue to create this gap. It's no wonder that so many of us are exhausted. My question to you is how do we shrink the gap? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we live a life that when people are asked the question, who do you want to be like, how will it automatically be you? I promise a story that I'm going to share with you today will give you the blueprint to do it. But it's going to be hard and difficult, but oh so worth it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel. We are going to be studying this man, Daniel, today. I heard a message recently by Andy Stanley on Daniel. It's one of my favorite stories, and so I listened to it, and it has stuck with me to this day. It was so convicting. I thought to myself, I want to bring that conviction to you today. So I'm going to weave in some of his thoughts as well. But this story about Daniel is extraordinary. In fact, he's such an amazing guy, they named a book after him. And the reason they do that is because of how he lives his life. And if you and I pattern our lives this way, you and I will have a legacy left just like Daniel as well. So I'm going to summarize the first two verses of Daniel chapter 1. Here's what happens. Daniel, he is an Israelite, which is God's chosen people. And Daniel, a teenager at the time, his people are overtaken by the Babylonians. They invade them and they take them over. And it is led by this awful king called Nebuchadnezzar. And after this, we see what happens in Daniel's life. Let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. So, these guys get overtaken by the Babylonians. The king wants to select a few young, talented, good-looking men to be a part of his kingdom. Like, it couldn't just be anybody. It had to be those who were good-looking, talented, strong, and intelligent. I was thinking back, if I was there in that day, I would have been not selected, thank God. Maybe some of you would have been, but I didn't meet any of those criteria. But these guys, they did. And these guys have an incredible opportunity. I mean, they get to serve in the king's inner circle. He, they get to be on his team. So many of us as parents and grandparents, we want to do whatever it takes to guarantee that our kids will have a good future, right? Right? Well, these kids, they get a good future. I mean, think about the things they get. They get to move to a prominent city of Babylon. I mean, that's way better than where they were living at. They get job security. I mean, how many of us wouldn't want job security, especially nowadays, right? 
They get a free education. Some of you parents are like, okay, where do I sign up? They had to eat the same food as the king. I'm asking the question, where do I sign up? I mean, that sounds really great. All of these incredible opportunities that these kids get. Some of you parents are like, okay, I don't care what's the stakes. I want to sign up my kid for this, or I'll even take this kind of life. I mean, what an opportunity for, uh, for an Israelite, this teenage boy, to have an incredible future. It's an amazing opportunity, right? Or is it? How many times in our lives we see an opportunity, and man, it looks really good, and then when you take it, you're like, oh, man, that was not what I was thinking it would be. I wonder if that's what's happening here with these four teenage boys. Because look what happens in verse 7. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now we're going to look at those three guys in a couple of weeks to see what happened in their stories. I want to focus on Daniel today. These four guys are selected to serve the Babylonian king, but all they had to do is be renamed after a Babylonian god. Now, that doesn't seem like it's a big trade-off, do you think? I mean, you get free education, job security, food, moving to this prominent city in exchange for being renamed with a Babylonian name. Is that a big deal? Well, here's why they rename him. Or them, I should say. They are renaming these guys after Babylonian gods so that they replace their identity as Israelites and Yahweh worshipers and indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture so they will worship Babylonian gods. That was the first step. To rename them was to say, you aren't an Israelite anymore, now you're a Babylonian. And more importantly, what was happening for these guys, they weren't just working for the king. Look what Andy Stanley says. When you rename something, it's evidence that you now own the thing you've renamed. The king is now their lord, master, and authority. Here's what that means. These guys weren't just working for the king. They are the kings now. They weren't just having a job with the king. Now the king owned these guys, which meant if they did not do what the king asked them to do, then they would be killed for it. So what does Daniel do? Does Daniel just obey the king because he's the king and turn his back on who he really is? Or does he lead his life by his character, his morals and values, no matter the cost, even if it means losing his own life. What does Daniel do? What would you do? If you were in Daniel's shoes, what would you do? What if I told you that you are in Daniel's shoes? Every single day, whether you recognize it or not, you and I make thousands upon thousands of decisions that will either do one of two things. It will confirm our character and our integrity, or it will compromise it. Every single day, you and I make choices that either go down this path or this path. Either 
compromising or confirming our character? What choices do you make? For instance, let me just give you a few examples. Do I tell the whole truth or do I tell a white lie, especially if it doesn't hurt anyone? I mean, who cares, right? It's just a white lie. As long as I tell 90 to 95% of the truth, if I hold back that 5%, what's the big deal? I don't want to hurt my spouse or I don't want to get in trouble at work. And so I'll hold that detail back because honestly, it doesn't really matter anyways. That's a choice that you and I have to make every single day. I'm going to hit one maybe closer to home. Do I put up emotional boundaries with the opposite sex? Or do I justify opening up to another person because my needs aren't being met at home? I know I could be stepping on some toes, and I'm sorry about that, but this is a reality that I see often. Those of us who maybe don't have the greatest marriage, and we're not getting what we need at home, whether that's just emotionally or physically or whatever that is. And so what do we do? We justify. We say, hey, if my spouse isn't going to treat me like this, this guy or this girl at work, she pays attention to me or he cares about me or she remembered my birthday or he actually wants to know what's going on in my life. And so we justify it. We say, hey, if I'm not going to get home, I can get it here. What choice do you make? Do I stay quiet when others are gossiping about a coworker, or do I jump in because of the coworker's poor choices? How many of us, we hear someone talk about someone in our work, and we can either just be quiet because we don't want to say anything behind their backs, or do we jump in because this person's making a mess of their lives, either outside or inside of work, or maybe they hurt us at work or did damage to the boss, and so why not just jump in? I mean, we know something anyways. They're not going to find out that we're saying these things. So what do we do? We stay quiet or we jump in. How about this? Do I say no to something that goes against my faith in Jesus? Or do I just give in because I don't want to be known as the weird religious person? I mean, it's actually a good thing to come to church. And when you tell someone in your life that you go to church, people think that's good. Yeah, you're trying to better yourself. Good for you. But then, if you have to then make a decision that's based on your faith and you're going to say no to something that everyone else is saying yes, now people think you're taking it too far. Now you're being a little extreme. Now you're being too religious. Now you're taking it out of Sunday morning and now you're going to apply it to your life. That's really weird. And so many of us, do we say no to something that would go against our faith, or do we just say yes because we don't want to be labeled as the weird religious person? Every single day, you and I have choices to make. Choices that will either confirm our character, or they compromise our character. Thousands upon thousands of choices, and you may say, it's not really that big of a deal. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. Maybe for a long time, we've been justifying and excusing our behavior, thinking it doesn't matter. But maybe it's damaging us and those around us more than we think. Maybe it's in the little choices that we're making that really make us as a person. I love what Carrie Newhoff says here. A thousand little compromises leaves you compromised. And this part is pretty convicting. 
You may not have sold your soul to the devil, but you've rented it to him. Thousands of little compromises along the way makes you compromised. And you may think, I can control it. As long as I keep up my lying or my justifying or whatever it is, I can keep this part of my life here and continue to live like this. And what I'm going to tell you is, you're wrong. How do I know? This past week, I heard a story of a guy who ruined a relationship with his family in three sentences. 40 years. 40 years of relationships. Gone. I mean decimated. In three sentences. It wasn't those three sentences that cut him off from his family. It was the millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of compromises that this person made for 40 years led him to a point where he could not say it. He had to say it because it was who he is now. Thousands of choices that you and I make on a daily basis leaves us compromised. And eventually, the lying, the justifying, the little choices become big things. And eventually, you will be caught somehow, some way. It could be tomorrow or it could be in 40 years like this individual. And what happens? The gap between who I am and who I want to be continues to widen and widen and widen, leaving you and I absolutely exhausted because we're not living the life we know, not only should we live, but could we live? And you know what? If you don't want to take my word for it, Jesus, again, is so clear here in a verse we'll continue to look at. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? The pleasure, giving in a temptation, the things that you do in order to make you feel good, okay, great. You get it all, but what happens if you lose it all in the end? Is it worth it? Daniel, he had a choice. Do I obey the king? Because I know that if I don't, I could die. Or do I stay true to my morals, my character, my faith in God? And then whatever happens, I will trust God with the results. What does he do? Ugh. Daniel 1.8, I'm going to show it in the NIV, has become one of those verses that I am truly trying to live by. I want to get it tattooed on my eyeballs, literally. It is so good. And let me tell you, before I show you this verse, if you are here and you feel compromised, and if you're here, you're like, I'm making a mess of my life. My spouse doesn't know it. My kids don't know it. God knows it. I know it. This is you. Here's a chance for you, beginning today, to hit the do-over. It's called God's grace. This is the plan. But if you don't do it, I don't know what else to tell you. This is it in seven words. Ready? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Would you say that out loud with me? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Would you say it again with me? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel 
resolved not to defile himself. And in this case, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. This Hebrew word, this word resolved, means this. Either purposed, made up one's mind, or determined. Here's how important this is, and listen to me closely. Before Daniel had an opportunity to take the bait, or to be tempted, or he was given a choice, he made up his mind, he purposed, he determined, he resolved ahead of time to say no matter what comes my way, because my faith is so important to me, I will not do it. He resolved ahead of time. He resolved ahead of time. If you think you can get to the point where you're on the edge, but you don't think you're going to jump, you will jump. But if you resolve not to even get close to the edge, you can be like Daniel and have a character thousands of years later that we're talking about, that he's known for. He resolved ahead of time that he would be this kind of person. What does he resolve to do? He resolves not to defile himself, which means to pollute, desecrate, make unclean. He said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will do whatever it takes to not make my soul polluted, to not desecrate who God is in my life, to not defile myself as a person. I know it's going to cost me something. I know others may think a certain way about me, but I don't care because in advance, I'm going to be like this and I will make hard choices to be like this because at the end of the day, I care more about my character than what other people think. I care all about my character more than what anything else matters. You have to make up your time. You have to make up your mind ahead of time or it can't work. And in Daniel's case, even before he was given the opportunity to eat from the king's table, he said, I'm not going to do it. Why? What's so big a deal? Well, later we find out that Daniel, he just wants to eat vegetables and water. Is he trying to be vegan and lose some weight? I don't think so. He understands. He understands what's at stake. Here's what the ESV study Bible uh, says. If you don't have this Bible, man, you should buy it. It's so good. Daniel and his friends avoided the luxurious diet of the king's table as a way of protecting themselves from being ensnared by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. He knew that if he were to eat this food, which isn't that big of a deal, come on, it's just food. But he knew if he did that, what's the next thing he'll compromise? And the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Then one day, he's going to look back and say, I'm not even worshiping Yahweh anymore. I'm not even who I was created to be as an Israelite anymore. It just starts with something small. He resolved not even to compromise on the little things, food itself, knowing that if he did, it's a slippery slope. The consequences that he can't even dream would happen if he goes there. He resolved ahead of time. He purposed, he made up his mind. Have you done that? Or is it just whatever feels good or whatever's right or whatever other people think? With this restricted diet, they continually reminded themselves in this time of testing that they were the people of God in a foreign land and they were dependent for their food. Indeed, for their very lives upon God, the creator, not King Nebuchadnezzar. 
He knew. If I do this one thing, it's going to take away everything else in my life. And you say, it's just food. It's just a text message. It's just looking at one image on my phone. It's just having a friendly conversation. It's just a lie, a little white lie that, that who cares? It's inconsequential. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just. Until eventually you get to the guy that I talked to you about, he doesn't have a relationship with his family anymore. Three sentences, done. Because he never resolved in advance to protect his character more than feeling good about his life. Here's the most incredible thing about this story. Do you think that's good? Do you know what happens to Daniel? You keep reading in this story. I'm going to have to fast forward just a little bit to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 tells us what happens when you resolve in advance not to defile yourself. 75 years later, 75 years later, because he lived this kind of life, look what we know about Daniel. Watch this. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. This happens right afterwards. God starts to bless him. God starts to say, hey, you honor me, I'm going to honor you. And then when you get to John, uh, Daniel 6, here's what happens. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. 75 years later, Daniel's still employed by the king. And not only is he employed by the king, he continues to move up the ladder. Incredible, right? That's not what really matters. It's not about his success that makes Daniel Daniel. It's about his character because watch this. Then the other administrators and high officials our officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his government affairs. Here's what they did. They got their phone out and did a Google search. They said, look, I'm going to find dirt on Daniel because I'm going to tear him down. There has to be something on Daniel, something in this relationship, something how he conducted his affairs here, something how he spent money here. We are going to take him down. Couldn't find anything. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn Daniel. Why? Do you remember as a teenager, he resolved not to defile himself. From an early age, he said, no matter what the cost, no matter what happens, I will not compromise my character. Whether I move up the ladder or not, that's not what's important. What's important is who I am. He did not defile himself. He made up his mind a long time ago, 75 years later, nobody, nobody, nobody can find fault in Daniel. Can you imagine living that kind of life? People trying to dig up stuff on you because you resolved not to defile yourself. People are like, Man, I don't know this guy, this girl. I mean, they're not Jesus, but they're darn close. <laughs> exactly. He was faithful. Always responsible, completely trustworthy. Could you imagine someday, 75 years later, or how many years later we have in this world, that people describe you, not what you did, 
Because those things don't matter, but who you are. Can you imagine if your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your best friend, your family, your closest coworkers could say, oh, man, he's faithful. Like, faithful. Always responsible. Completely trustworthy. Can you imagine living that kind of life? Can you imagine if your family and friends are looking to somebody to pattern their lives after, and it was you? Because you resolved, you determined, you purposed, you made up your mind that no matter what the opportunity is, if it goes against who I am and my faith in Jesus, I'm not doing it. What would your life look like? Some of us here, we have not been living that kind of life. I have not been living that kind of life. That's why when I read these verses recently, it just hit me so hard. And that's the greatest thing about God's grace. God's grace is you get to do it over again. Starting today, this can be the day where you look back and say, I remember 20 years ago, I was living like this, and I was looking at these things, and I was talking to this person. I was doing all these things. There were little compromises. But I remember resolving, I'm not going to do it again. You're going to fail at this, but when you fall down, God's grace is he gets you back up and gives you the strength to do it again and again. And eventually, someday, you will be known for who you are and how you live your life. All of us will be. Why not make it the way Daniel is? I resolved, purpose, made up my mind not to defile, pollute, desecrate my soul. Imagine the kind of life you would live. Imagine the blessing you would be to those around you. Andy Stanley, he puts it this way. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. But I promise you, those who live this way, if you don't do what's wrong, it'll always be right. You may not see the results right away, but someday you will. And the people around you well, thank you for being a great blessing to them. See, the only way we do this is through the strength and help of God himself. And so what I want to do is I want our worship team just to sing a song. You can join them in. Or maybe this is a time for you to sit, stand, whatever, and just confess God. Like, it's not these big things, but it's these little things that are going to turn into medium things that are going to turn into large things. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. I want to stop it here. Lord, I confess and I resolve. I confess and I resolve. Would you stand with us and sing together?
so much for joining us this morning. Go and have a great Sunday.